0: ninjas calling all ninjas it's time for lime
1: ninja radio today on lime ninja radio and, and what's
0: what's the role of retinol retinol is what enables copper to be put into ceruloplasma it's an absolute mission critical function in our body and if the, if there's no retinol there's no copper getting into ceruloplasma
1: This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There's so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans, and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LymeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host and I'm an acupuncturist. My name is McKay Rippey and this is episode number 218 with formerly known as the Magnesium Man, Morley Robbins. I'm renaming him the Copper Man. And you'll see why in a minute. We also have in the studio the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio and our producer, Aurora, who's fresh out of the hairstylist with a brand new do. It's short. It's sassy. (laughs) It's Aurora.
2: It's not. It's not the Rachel, I promise. Hello. Who's the Rachel? Uh, From the the TV show Friends. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so out of it. Anyway, I'm such a nerd. That haircut. I spent all a my thing. time
1: on Dr. Google and no time watching Friends. Yes,
2: yes. Anyway, but and they're researching re- a they're nitric oxide, now, right? They? Yes. yes. A nitric <laughs> oxide as
1: well. And putting together, we have a brand new project we'll be unveiling soon. Anyway, stay tuned. We're always up to something here at Lime Ninja Radio.
2: Dun, dun, dun. Anyway. In
1: this episode... Yeah, tell us about this episode. (laughs)
2: In this episode, you will learn how copper masterminds your red blood cells and what that means for your health, what copper does to create energy and clear exhaustion, and the basic nutrition you
1: need to keep your copper working. This is such an important topic. I can't emphasize this enough. This is really part two of our interview last week with Bob Miller Bob has done studies, genetic studies, and what it shows there is that people with chronic Lyme, you, we're talking to you out there, have problems with your iron metabolism. The odds are, given the studies that he's done, you're having problems there. And if you're having problems with iron metabolism, as Morley's going to show you so explicitly, so wonderfully in this interview, you probably also have copper issues as well. You really need this mineral to manage the iron in your body. And if you're not getting proper copper or if your transporters aren't quite right, then you're going to have major issues and you're not going to get better, even if you're killing off the borrelia successfully. So this is like, this is like the second act or the third act in your Lyme treatment, right? So even if you're ahead of killing off the viruses you've got or the mold that you've got or the, Borrelia or the co-infections, what else can you have? SIBO, all the other type of infections that you have, parasites. Even if you're just successfully getting all those cleared out, if you're having problems with fundamental basic iron metabolism, the heme pathways and the other iron pathways, then you're going to struggle with your health. That's why it's so important. That's why you're really going to want to listen to this interview and pay attention to what Morley has to say. All right, let's move on.
2: As you all know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week, we have listeners join us from all over the world. This past week, we've had listeners from Guam to Germany and from Russia to Jamaica.
1: Also, big shout out to all you longtime Lyme ninjas. You know who you are. Aurora and I really, really appreciate you listening in.
2: And we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lyme Ninja Radio. We
1: are glad you tuned in. Speaking of tuning in, this week's top 10 tune-in cities are...
2: Number 10, Waleska, Georgia.
1: Number 9, Bear, Delaware.
2: Number 8, Hobart, Indiana.
1: Number 7, Marshalltown, Iowa.
2: Number 6, Clearfield, Pennsylvania.
1: Number 5, New York, New York. Number 4, Madison, New York. Number 3, Brooklyn, New York.
2: Number 2, Victorville, California.
1: And number 1, San Jose, California. And didn't you say we had some listeners from Jamaica? We did. I think somebody went on vacation and took Lime Ninja Radio with them. <laughs> I hope you did. I hope you had lots of sunshine. I hope they don't have Lyme disease showing up in Jamaica, yeah. actually. All right, or right, why don't you tell us a little bit more about this week's guest, Morley Robbins.
2: Morley had been a hospital... Executive and consultant for 32 years until he developed a condition called frozen shoulder, which opened his eyes to the power of natural medicine and sent him on his path of becoming an expert in the interplay between magnesium, copper and iron metabolism. Through his Magnesium Advocacy Group, or MAG, he is committed to educating as many people as possible about the importance of iron toxicity and how magnesium and copper help regulate the well-being of all.
1: Thanks, Rora, And here's our interview with the Copper King, Morley Robbins. Hello, Morley. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio.
0: McKay, great to hear your voice and glad to be able to spend some time with you.
1: It's always interesting. And I'd like to catch up with you with your latest findings on iron and copper and oxygen and oxidative stress and health and what you're thinking. Because I know you just can't stay away from the literature and you're always researching (laughs)
0: I'm obsessed. What can I say?
1: Well, um, yeah, that's what makes it so much fun to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Well, it's fine. One of the other guys that I, that I chat with from time to time, uh, Jason Dean, who's a chiropractor, he said, "Marley, you're the only person I know who, who talks about copper. <laughs> I said, happy to do it, Jason. Uh, I
1: know, and you're the magnesium man. How, so how did how did you transfer from magnesium to copper? Because they're both super important minerals.
0: It's a, that's a great question, because a lot of people, I'm sure, wonder what, what the heck happened. Um, I, very early on in the process, and as I was tooting my magnesium horn, it was folks like you who said, morally, if it was that straightforward, all we needed was magnesium, we would have done it. And my first reaction was to myself, think, like, well, obviously, you don't understand magnesium the way I do, or, or whatever. I mean, I was completely arrogant and completely off base. And I was in the midst of doing a book with a cardiologist from New York City and began to realize that there was – and I I began to – I don't remember the exact moment, but out of the corner of my eye, I read an article probably by Leslie Clavey, who's a world-renowned copper expert, and he was talking about the relationship between copper deficiency and heart disease. And I realized, wait a minute, maybe there's more to this story about um, dis-ease. And I pulled away from the book because it didn't make sense, because I knew that there was more to the story. And I started reading about copper, which is an absolute fascinating subject. But then I started to to understand that there's bioavailable copper versus unbound copper. And they're two very different pieces. And so the, what makes copper bioavailable is it needs to be complexed in key enzymes. And one of the most important is ceruloplasmin, which we'll talk about at some point later in the show. But, but when, it, when it's not complexed in ceruloplasmin or a critical mitochondrial enzyme called cytochrome C oxidase, or in any one of a half a dozen critical antioxidant enzymes, then copper can be a very annoying little bugger. But I think the part that everyone misses is that there's one molecule of copper for every 60 molecules of iron. And when I began to understand the dynamics between copper and iron, building out from that idea of 1 to 60 – and then began to realize that there's a whole lot of iron in our body and there's a a potential for oxidative stress, that's when I really began to spend more time with copper because I think it's a uh, grossly misunderstood mineral in our body, but it's a profoundly uh, pivotal and critical part of our physiology that isn't widely understood, and that's why I appreciate the chance to, to have these conversations.
1: Before, when we were speaking, you used the analogy of iron being the waiter and copper being the chef in the background that's making everything happen. And iron kind of gets all the glory because it's what we see. We really don't see the chef slaving in the kitchen behind the scenes. Can you explain a little bit more about that? And then particularly with – with regard to transporting oxygen around, so we absolutely think of iron. Oh, you need iron to make heme, blah 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 blah. But you're saying you need the copper to make the heme to make the carry the iron to, right? Am absolutely. I following yeah. along there?
0: Okay. Yeah, you've got, you've got it right. And again, it's it's a very disorienting idea that that iron is a waiter. It's like, wait a minute. I thought it was like, I, I thought it was, I thought it was the quarterback. No, it's not the quarterback at all. So. You know, we've we've all been to fancy restaurants and we you know the role that the waiters play, and we go to those fancy restaurants. Do we do we go to the fancy restaurants because we want to interact with the waiter or because we want to have an experience with food? Well, of course it's gonna be the latter. We want we want to have a very different relationship with food, so we we go out, we go to a special restaurant, and as you've noted, you gotta have a really gifted chef to do that the the preparation of the food, the actual cooking, and then the actual presentation. That's everything, and then they hand it to the waiter, and he gets all the credit because <laughs> because he gave you the plate on time, right? And it's like, good good heavens, the unsung heroes are the are the sous chefs and the line chefs and the and the executive chef back in the in the kitchen that are quietly trying to make these incredible meals, right? So, what's the what's the corollary? Well. We've got a lot of red blood cells in our body. And what what do those red blood cells have? Bazillions of hemoglobin in them. And what of those red blood cells also have is a lot of oxygen. I mean, it's, it's like the numbers are, are staggering. And in fact, when you, when you really get into it, it's quite interesting that there are about 25 trillion red blood cells. Well, that's a big number. That's a number that... That we can hardly relate to, and I was curious. I wonder what the surface area of the red blood cells is. And believe it or not, when I googled it, someone had already done it. I was like, "Yes!"
1: <laughs> saved you a lot of math. <laughs>
0: I'm kidding. Oh my god! I was like, I was dancing a jig. Um, and so it turns out that the surface area of 25 trillion red blood cells is 2,000 times greater than the surface area of our skin. Wow. So we can talk about, okay, so the skin is pretty big, and like, wow, so 2,000, well, let's put it in terms that people can relate to. It's actually 94% of an acre, or most people don't know what an acre looks like, right? Mm-hmm. So,
1: it's
0: basically a football field, because everybody knows what a football
1: field yeah, is. Yeah, more or less. It's, it's a lot.
0: It's a lot of, a lot of surface area. Yep. That That's, that's the surface area of the red blood cells. And what do the red blood cells have a lot of? A lot of iron. So that iron is being spread over the football field. And then what's an even greater mind-numbing exercise is to think about how many oxygen molecules is on that football field. And it's 34 sextillion. It's like, huh? Yeah, What?
1: gazillion, what, yeah. gazillion. A, gazillion. <laughs> so a lot. It's a it's 21 crazy zero. amount. Yeah.
0: So there's a lot of oxygen. Wow. Which is very reactive, as we know. There's yep. a lot of iron. Now, what I want the listeners to do is put a penny in the corner of the. F- and that's the amount of copper that's needed to regulate that iron and that oxygen. Because it's around. That penny weighs about 90 milligrams. That's the amount of copper in your body, in my body. And the average person living, listening to this radio show.
1: So that, you know, but that's just—it doesn't make any sense. How can that small of uh, substance <laughs> control the rest of the acre of red blood cells? It just doesn't make sense.
0: Well, I, I wish Mother Nature were here so she could answer. That.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll see so if that, I can do get her on the next show.
0: <laughs> please, no, let me know when, that, when that's going to happen. No, it, it, it's absolutely. It's, like, so disorienting to think about that, right?
1: Yeah. Because
0: what is the body really designed to do? There's only two functions that the body needs to do really well. Create energy and – it's like we're we're right back to Karate Kid with, with Mr. Miyagi, you know, wax on, wax off. It's like create energy and clear exhaust. Well, how do we create energy? Well, it's in the mitochondria and it's a complex 4 it's called the terminal terminal enzyme of the respiratory chain and it's called cytochrome c oxidase and it it has three coppers in there there's a, one is called copper a and then copper b has two coppers now what's fascinating about that part of our anatomy is it turns out that that Complex. It's called Complex Four. That complex is a two-cycle engine.
1: And what do you what do you mean by that?
0: Well, there's there's a there's a downstroke and an upstroke. Okay. Well, the downstroke. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. So the downstroke is and it turns the O2. That's the downstroke. The upstroke is to add two. And that downstroke adds two electrons, so that it becomes hydrogen peroxide. And then the upstroke has to add two more electrons and turn that hydrogen peroxide into two molecules of water. And when that happens, three energy precursors are released. They're called ADP, adenosine diphosphate. And then they go over to complex five, which is basically a rotor spinning at 9,000 revolutions per minute, and it's adding another phosphate and magnesium so that the body can recognize it, because when it's magnesium ATP, that's energy that the that the cell recognizes and says, "Oh, I can use that now." So that's a really important part of the process of making energy. But that that upstroke, which is an oxidase function, can somehow get compromised because I know you're very familiar in your in your uh, client community and in your listeners with the term inflammation. Well, inflammation is synonymous with how the, the, the mitochondria can't complete the cycle. It's a very, very important part. So this process of creating energy is really key. And then the process of clearing exhaust, well, when there are accidents, when you're working with oxygen, again, it's a very reactive molecule. And the literature will tell you it's about three percent of the oxygen becomes reactive oxygen species. Well, what's what is an accident with oxygen? It's an oxidant. We know what antioxidants are, and so when there are these when there are these oxidants, there are enzymes in the body that are designed to neutralize those oxidants. And and as far as I can tell from the research I've read. The, literally the thousands of articles that those enzymes those antioxidant enzymes are powered by copper and the master antioxidant enzyme in the human body is called the, the protein is called ceruloplasmin but the master antioxidant enzyme function is called ferrooxidase enzyme now what's fascinating about that is it's never measured in routine blood testing neither the level of the protein nor the activity of the enzyme. Now, they do it all the time in research studies, but they're working with four-legged rats, but they'll never do it for the two-legged rats. And it's amazing to me that that the cornerstone of our antioxidant process is completely ignored by the system. So we've got create energy, clear exhaust, both being run by... So, obsession with the waiter, all of these red blood cells carrying all that oxygen, and, and we would be lost without that capacity, right? But what we're completely missing is an understanding of what happens to that oxygen once it gets into the mind. And if you don't have bioavailable copper, then you've got a world of. And, the, and I think the, one of the great um, points of confusion in practitioner circles is the confusion about what does low iron in the blood really mean cuz you alluded to it just a minute ago about making new blood well it turns out that the process of making new blood there's three critical variables in that process the first is you got to be able to make energy if you can't make energy you can't, you can't do anything, but but there's a byproduct of that process of making energy, and that's to make ferric iron. Ferric iron is real important in this process. Then there's a second step, is you've got to be able to make iron-sulfur clusters. So again, back to the energy. You can't make the energy without... Then the iron-sulfur clusters are very important to making a lot of different proteins, as you know. Well, there's a critical rate-limiting enzyme is called glutaredoxin 5 GRX-5, glutaredoxin 5 It's copper-dependent, ding, 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 and you can't make it without it. And then we go to the third cornerstone of the triangle in the process of making heme. Well, there are eight enzymes in that process. Four of them are taking place inside the mitochondria, and four of them are taking place outside of the mitochondria. And as you begin to connect the dots, you discover that those four that are taking place inside the mitochondria require copper. Especially the last enzyme is called ferrochelatase, And it's a known fact that that enzyme is the crane operator to drop the iron in the heme. And if the crane operator is not there, the crane doesn't work.
1: Right, and the iron backs up and then you get more inflammation. Exactly. And things go off the rail.
0: Right. So the the process of making blood is copper dependent, even though, again, let's go to a construction. Do we we venerate the steel girders or do we venerate the architect and the construction foreman that made a 100-story building? I think it's, I mean, we know how important the iron is, absolutely. But… It takes a lot of, of mind power and IQ to figure out how to make that building work and how to bring it together so it doesn't fall down. I think that's where the real magic is in construction, and I think the magic inside our body is with this incredibly intelligent mineral called copper. And it's doing activities that people are not even aware of to support the process of creating energy clearing
1: exhaust. Right, so but back to the football field analogy and you've got a little copper penny in there. It's easy to lose sight of what copper's doing because mm-hmm. it's just such a, a seemingly small role. You assume, we make the assumption, the mental assumption, the mental error that because it, it has a small volume that therefore it has small importance.
0: Yeah. So do you do you want to talk about a, an interesting analogy to that um, Achilles
1: heel? Well, before hold that thought. I want to kind of sum up here and then uh, ask ask a question about what what's happening to copper in our in our bodies. So basically, you're saying copper regulates the the burning of oxygen for fuel, right? Yep. It's it that's one part of the stroke the other part is then to get rid of the exhaust and break that down and we see this in so much chronic illness including lyme diseases we get tired and we get toxic right i mean it's 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 really at at that level we're talking about and you're talking about copper being you know this this critical intelligence you called it an intelligent mineral i like that idea But it's, 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 come on, it's only a penny. (laughs)
2: Like,
1: (laughs) why, you know, we don't need that much. How come we're struggling with copper? How come it's not with one of these bigger minerals that, you know, we would, you assume you'd be deficient in. It's like, what's, what's going on in our environment, in our lifestyles that we can't get the copper that we need?
0: Great, great uh, observations and and need for clarification. So, a really good book for folks to read if they really want to understand the, the subtlety of this is uh, a book. He's a he was a biochemist uh, who happened to be a, a dairy farmer, but he was a biochemist by by profession and dairy farmer by hobby. Um, and the um, the book is called Soil Grass Cancer, and it was published in 1957. And what and I'm blanking on the author's name, but I'll get it to you. Um, um, What he was lamenting was that there was a loss of copper in the soil, and he was over in Great Britain, and he was mindful of the fact that the copper was not in the soil, so it wasn't getting into the grass, so it wasn't getting into the cows, so it wasn't getting into their milk, and his customers were getting cancer because of it. And he, he writes with meticulous detail about the role that copper plays to prevent cancer.
1: Again, Andre Andre Boisin, is it?
0: Voisin. Well, thank you. Boisin. Boisin, B-O-I-S-I-N. Yep. And, and I thought, for the longest time, I just thought he was a smart dairy farmer. Turns out he was an incredibly gifted biochemist who enjoyed farming. So it's just a it's a it's kind of a twist of his his uh purpose in life but in any event soil grass cancer and that's when I began to realize that there's a a very there's a subtlety to this dynamic because as you have pointed out, it's very easy to overlook copper well, there's a, a research team called McCants and widowson widow's son McCants and Widows' son and in nineteen thirty seven they started writing about the mineral depletion that was taking place in soils, principally in Europe, but especially in the UK. And that that examination has been updated for 80. Years. And what they're now surmising is that there's been about an 80 percent loss of copper in the soil. And this is this is before we get to the okay? UK. So so there's been an erosion of minerals in the soil. I think we all are are mindful of that. We didn't know the scale of it. Again, it's going to vary from from one region to the other. But there's been an enormous loss of of this critical mineral. Then we have the fact that there were changes made in the, the food system starting with the turn of the century. So what did they do in the early 1900s? They started to refine the food and get rid of the, the germ, the wheat germ, and the bran, well, what's significant about that? That's where the copper is. It's in the germ and the, and the bran. And the B vitamins are there as well. And, and there are other factors, but again, I'm, I'm trying to give people a sense of, where did the copper go? So that was, that was the first assault. Then what did they do? Because the food tasted so bad because they had, quote, refined it, they started adding sugar. well what does sugar do sugar attracts iron
1: it tastes good oh it attracts iron
0: it does attract iron and that's not my idea there's a there's a series of research studies done in the early 60s to document that fact sugar attracts iron Hmm. especially in the gut your listeners are going to go crazy about that so so that so now we've got some interesting dynamics taking place. Well, then what, what happened in 1941? Very important turning point. Well, let me go back. 1934. 1934, three physicians, Minot, Murphy, and Whipple, won the Nobel Prize for curing anemia and pernicious anemia, the B12 form of anemia, and they used the same product. Do you know what it was?
1: I have no idea.
0: It's called Beef Liver.
1: Ah, uh, of course.
0: They won the Nobel Prize. No kidding. Nobel Prize for using beef liver to cure anemia and pernicious anemia. Then let's go let's let's go forward seven years.
1: And so let's pause there for a second. So if again, we're looking at the football field, right, and the red blood cells and the amount of iron in there and the tiny little copper in the penny, so people look at the beef liver and say, aha, we're giving them more iron, correct?
0: Oh, no, no, no. That they is. didn't. The highest concentration of copper in the body is in the it, liver.
1: Exactly. But when when people talk about liver these days, they're talking about the iron <sighs> contact. Nobody's talking about the copper content of it. That's right. It's, it's, it's a programming issue. Okay. It's still, it's still so, a so. <laughs>
0: okay. no, no, seriously, it is. McKay, the, the identification of anemia, the crisis of anemia, we know that anemia means low iron in the blood, right? Well, that that crisis started with the First World War, studying pregnant women. At any given point in, in society, 1% of people, are, and so they decided to inoculate the other 99%. And what most people don't realize is that there's a process called hemodilution that takes place during the course of the pregnancy, and that the mom is not supposed to continue to make hemoglobin at the same rate for her body. She's got to make it for the baby, too. And so normal hemoglobin for a woman is 12, and it's supposed to drop down to 8.5 to 9.5.
1: Wow, that's really quite low.
0: That's quite low. Yeah. But, 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 that level of hemoglobin produces the healthiest babies. Hmm. Again, it's not not my idea. This this is the research. Um, let me get you the name of the of the uh, obstetrician because um, it's a very important study that most people are not aware of. His name is Dr. Steer. Philip Steer, ST, and the study was done in 1995. It's called The Relationship of Maternal Hemoglobin and birth weight. British Medical Journal, 1995. So healthiest babies are produced to low hemoglobin moms. <clears throat> it flies in the face of convention, right? So, <clears throat> So we start to become aware of the fact that there's this dynamic between copper and iron, and the research in the 1920s, 1930s, in the early 40s was all about the relationship zinc wasn't even a factor never mentioned in the articles there's no no consideration of zinc that's all a modern phenomenon so they were really trying to figure out who's who's on first and what's on second between copper and iron and the biggest change occurred in 1941 so 7 years after um, no Murphy and Whipple get the Nobel for using beef liver, which is very high in two things—not just copper, but
1: retinol, right. real vitamin A. Yep.
0: And and what's what's the role of retinol? Retinol is what enables copper to be put into ceruloplasmin. It's an absolute mission-critical function in our body. And if the, if there's no retinol, there's no copper getting into ceruloplasm. That's a big issue for people to
1: understand right one of the things that we see when we look at the genetics of people with lyme disease is some of them have problems converting beta carotene into uh, active retinol and so it's an invisible problem so if you're not if your body can't convert beta carotene which is the precursor that's found in vegetables and most vitamins by the way if you look at most vitamins and say oh you're getting vitamin a no you're getting beta carotene and, right. uh, and maybe a synthetic form or maybe a natural form. But if your body can't convert it into retinol, you're skunked. You're totally right. skunked. So, cod liver is, you know, beef liver uh, is one of those critical nutrients that you may need just to help you get out of a rut. And if you've got the genetics, it might be a lifelong uh, friend of yours.
0: Exactly right. And there's two aspects of uh, the, the BCMO beta carotene monooxygenase. Enzyme is copper-dependent. As well. <laughs> and and contrary to what you will see on Internet website, it takes 12 units of beta-carotene right. to become one unit. So people don't realize you have to eat a room full of carrots to equal a tablespoon. People don't realize.
1: A lot of these functions, uh, where the, it happens in the, the omega-3 side of things, as well and that the body is not particularly efficient it it will do it in a pinch it's almost as if we were designed to use the animal forms we can do it in a pinch from the vegetable forms but we're not very efficient at it and and right. the percentages are, are pretty low and you do have to eat an awful lot to to make that happen it's you know so if if dietarily and morally you can handle it uh get yourself some good cod liver oil
0: yeah Absolutely. I think it's. I think Weston knew what he was talking about um, in terms of the, the importance of the ancestral diet. So so we've got this conflict uh, that's, where's the copper? Where's the copper? Yes. So we, 1941, what did they start adding to wheat flour and filings? And it's not organic iron, it's inorganic iron. <laughs> people need to understand that. No, seriously, people need to
1: understand. These I know. Are, I'm, I'm thinking of the Cheerios experience, where you grind it up and hold a magnet to it, and you can see all the little bits of iron. It's just so pathetic.
0: It is. It's frightening, and so it's iron filings being added to the wheat flour, and that was 1941. Then in 1969, the FDA wanted to increase the amount of of iron 300.
1: Hmm. percent
0: And. 28 scientists from around the world came to Washington, D.C. to testify. And the the basic theme of their testimony was, what are you trying to do? Kill people? And so they backed off, and they only made a 50% increase in the amount of iron. Wow. I've been, I've been looking for three years. I cannot find any reference to the amount of iron that is actually being added. So which when you look on a cereal box, like you were mentioning, Cheerios, yep. you'll see it's that you get the... RDA or the DRI or whatever initials they use to confuse us, you get the daily amount needed in a half a cup of cereal. Mm. When was the last time you had a half a cup of cereal? Usually, you have two cups of cereal.
1: Yeah, back in the day when I used to go by the box and stick my hand in and grab a handful. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's a half half cup. Yeah, never. The answer is never.
0: (laughs) Never. So you're, you're getting four times the daily amount. Well, well, here's the here's the part that people don't understand, and it, it doesn't matter what their training is; they don't understand this. There's a there's a recycling system for iron in the body, and I use those initials RES to stand for recycling system, but the technical term is called reticuloendothelial system, mm-hmm. and it took me two years to figure out what reticuloendothelial meant. It means recycling. <laughs> And so the recycling system, every 24 hours, our body is designed to make 24 milligrams of iron to go to the bone marrow to make the day's next batch of red blood cells.
1: Red blood cells, exactly.
0: And you need one milligram from your diet to, to supplement that 24 milligrams. The cereal that we're joking about <coughs> is giving it's 1836 so we're getting 72 milligrams, so that's 70 that's over two months worth of iron in each serving of cereal that we had when we were younger. That's a mind-boggling thought. And so that all that iron, what's important for people to understand is that when you add iron unnaturally in the flour, in the cereal, in the supplements, the research of Jamie Collins over at the University of Florida in Gainesville, Department of Food Science, what they've discovered is that that iron disrupts copper metabolism. That's mm. not a good thing.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought And how do you remember the specifics? Is it absorption? Is it transportation? What is this?
0: It's, it's everything. It's, it's everything.
1: It just it's, blows it, it up. Absorption,
0: absorption, distribution, and utilization. Okay. And the studies are from 2017 and 2018. This is not like, you know, a long time ago.
1: Okay, so let's, let's pause here. So we have less copper in our foods because of soil depletion and just soil runoff. It's all in the ocean now. We've right. got extra iron being added into our food supply, basic staples, because they think that we're anemic, and so that's disrupting copper. Now, w- what else is killing off the copper?
0: So we in the 70s we started adding high fructose corn syrup to the food because it was a more efficient form of sweetener. It's cheap. It's cheap. It's really cheap. It's made from it's made from GMO corn. That that alone should make people nervous. But what it does is high fructose corn syrup shuts down the doorway for the cell to get copper. It's called CTR1, copper transport transporter one ctr one and it doesn't work when there's high fructose corn syrup Hmm. this has been this has been chronicled extensively by a major researcher her name was myra m-e-i-r-a fields plural fields back to our football field right fields (laughs) and she was a, a major researcher at the usda and from the late 70s to uh, early 2000s she did a whole series of studies of the impact of high fructose corn syrup and the basic theme was what are we trying to do kill people we're back to the same 28 research scientists what are we trying to do kill people and so then we we have another assault called glyphosate roundup and i think you and i have talked about this but but Stephanie Seneff, in a private conversation at the Forum for Integrative Medicine in Chicago uh, earlier this year, or this past year, in April April of uh, 2018, she said, "Morley, would you like to know why glyphosate is so toxic? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I really would. And she said, well, it, it chelates copper down to a pH of 1. Hmm. Our stomach acid is 2.0. And she said the other side of it that you need to understand is that that glycine, which is a very important amino acid, has a very similar structure to glyphosate. Glyphosate is a glycine with a nitrogen wart.
1: Yeah, it's an analog, yeah.
0: It's an analog, and the body is getting confused with with glyphosate. It's grabbing glycine, putting it into ceruloplasm, which has tons and tons – The ceruloplasm protein, 1,046 amino acids. It's huge. It's a monster. Insulin has 25 amino acids. Hepcidin has 25 amino acids. These powerhouse hormones that we throw about are really tiny compared to this this incredible enterprise called ceruloplasm. So then the the glycine is getting confused, so then the ceruloplasm doesn't work right because it's not made right. And then what I learned from William Davis, who's a key player at um, um, the Great Plains Laboratory, he wrote a wonderful article in 2015 about the role of Tylenol to cause autism. And it's amazing when you read the article, and he, he isolates it beautifully. He compares the autism rate in Cuba. Both of them have mandatory vaccinations. But there's a difference between Cuba, which has 11 million people, I think the average American thinks there are like six people living in Cuba. It's 11 million people.
1: I thought it was 23.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. No. So it's 11 million people. And they have a they basically no autism. And the autism rate in, in America now is hovering around 1 in 40.
1: Yeah, and getting worse.
0: And getting worse. And, yeah. and what is Stephanie Seneff projects by 2030, it'll be 1 in 2. And she's probably right. And so – What is is Tylenol? Tylenol destroys the acetaminophen function. The acetaminophen in Tylenol destroys the glutathione peroxidase inside the cell so that the greeter for copper can't be met. Copper metabolism collapses and glutathione burns out because there's no way to recycle. And it turns out, McKay, that copper is involved in a whole series of recycling programs around the body. Glutathione recycling is just one of them. One of the most important recycling programs for copper is in our brain, in the the astrocytes, are recycling cholesterol. Because 99% of the cholesterol is in our is It's in our, brain.
1: It's it's in our brain. brain, yeah, yeah.
0: But it has to be recycled. Hmm. Our diet in no way influences the cholesterol level in our brain. And if you don't have copper to run the recycling program in the astrocyte, then it leads to a breakdown in the ability to make myelin sheath, which is where 70% of that cholesterol is going. And then there's a whole cascade of dysfunction that follows demyelination.
1: Yeah. if, if, If your nerves demyelinate, they don't work. They stop working.
0: Well, that's, that's, a, that's exactly right, and yeah. that's what we call that's multiple sclerosis.
1: Yeah, that's multiple sclerosis, that's all kinds.
0: Of, yeah. So the copper, and again, this is just, this is what I've been able to piece together, but but added to that would be high doses of zinc are very disruptive to CTR1, the doorway for copper. Right, because
1: um, zinc, and just to basic understand, zinc and copper are antagonists, and they kind of work on a seesaw. And so yeah. if you have too much zinc you can have not enough and and usually what you hear is the other way around. Oh, you're going to be you're going to be zinc deficient because you're getting too much copper. But yeah. you're saying that rarely happens. Right. And the, and what
0: I just pieced together yesterday, I think this is what's what's really going on. People have heard of Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. Right? Amyloid lateral whatever.
1: A- ALS, right.
0: ALS, right. Yep. And, and so there's a breakdown in the superoxide dismutase enzyme. And, it, and on the surface, that's pretty bad, because it's a copper-zinc SOD. It's actually two atoms of copper that are catalytic. Zinc is structural. Stop thinking that it's the same as the copper. It's not. So it's, it's a structural uh, mineral. And it turns out that what's really in impl- that situation is when there is a reduction in glutathione, there's going to be a response inside the cell. There's actually two greeters. There's glutathione and metallothionine. Well, when there's no glutathione to grab the copper to then transport it to the uh, chaperones, who are then going to transport it to the copper enzymes, metallothionine is going to bind up that copper because we can't have it unbound. And metallothionine binds up copper a thousand times stronger than it binds up zinc. And so it's, a, it's an overexpression of metallothionine because of an underexpression or under presentation of glutathione. And when there's no copper, there's no SOD. And then the SOD can't stop the oxidative stress that is equated with Lou Gehrig's. Isn't that it amazing?
1: It's, it, I'm always amazed in these pathways, how interconnected they are. And how intricate they are, and how many backup systems the body has. But at some point, even the backup systems fail. And mm-hmm. I think that, I think that's what, what you're pointing out here. Uh, you know, so, okay, so you've got some deficiency in SOD. So the body's got other ways to deal with that. It'll bring in the glutathione. But as the, you know, do you have other uses for glutathione, or are there are other problems with the glycine and glyphosate? And so the glutathione isn't as available, and you're losing the copper, and it, it the, it's it slowly begins to degrade. It's like what what's the phrase of something like uh, it, it, things fall apart slowly, and then all of a sudden. Yeah, it's the, exactly. there's the t- there's a there's a tipping point in in health in any kind of complex system so the erosion happens over it's like smoking it's exactly like smoking so the erosion happens over years the damage happens over years and then all of a sudden it's the straw that breaks the camel's back it's the tipping point and then we say oh my goodness goodness i've got this x disease and then you go to a doctor and they give a label to it and they said yeah it's too bad and it's genetic or your parents had it or something like that when all along it's just this steady progression and if you said if we had the the sense to monitor some of these proteins and enzymes from the get-go we could see the destruction happening way before the and the the analogy you used before is that the, the 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 poor Men in the Titanic didn't have binoculars to spot the the iceberg coming, so they just had their eyesight and that's basically where we are, except we we wait until we've run onto the iceberg before we begin to diagnose or make changes and exactly. by the, by then it's you know a lot of times it's it's too late
0: yeah and my, my model it's a, it's a pretty simple model it's it's a stress induced mineral law affects enzyme function, and when enzymes don't work, they create symptoms. And what, and what happens is we take a bag full of symptoms into the doctor and we dump it on the desk and the doctor says, looks up in the Merck manual to match those symptoms to a, a label. And they say, well, you've got XYZ syndrome. And because we're human, we're very gullible. And we believe it when they say, oh, well, you've got chronic fatigue or you've got Lyme or you've got cancer or whatever. But what we have ignored is what were the stressors that started the ball rolling? And I was talking with a client uh, from... She lives in Stockholm yesterday. And for 90 minutes, she was sharing the story of, and I was meticulous. And I've talked to, you know, over 5,000 people in the last decade. And I got to tell you, it's one of the saddest stories I've ever heard. And, I, and I, when she was nearing the end, I said, I'm just curious, how many doctors to hear your story? And she got very quiet. She said, Morley, you're the only. And she said, what's unusual about you is that you have a, command of the science but you have compassion that's not usually coupled with that scientific bravado and she said this is a this is a very special moment for me because I've always wanted to share this story and and once she shared it and she then looks that had been done all, it, all the tests do is help educate the client that the stress caused the mineral loss that caused the symptoms and people like you said they they aren't mindful of that lifetime of stress and then they get bit by a tick or they get in a car accident or they some they, they get fired from work or they go through a divorce or whatever and they don't realize that that flashpoint of stress tipped the scales in a very significant way and they didn't have the resilience and the capacity in their In their uh, mineral bank called the bones the mineral bank is is bankrupt and so then there's this cascade of of metabolic dysfunction that then gets a label and we believe in the label does that make
1: sense absolutely two stories come to mind one i was speaking with a woman who has lyme disease and she you know well then the story always starts. how you know do you know when you get got bit and you know, she says, ah, not really, but I believe it went back to kind of her, her pre-college days, uh, and she's considerably older now. And But she didn't get sick until, and then she listed this whole series of of events, and they're all stressful events, right? So, here's somebody who's probably made peace with the bacteria right there's there's stalemate like okay you know you can you can have this cartilage over here but if if you don't take over we won't fight too hard against you and if you don't make too much noise we'll we'll ignore you so she, her health was was pretty good up to that point and I'm sure there's also beginning the slowly, you know, robbing of the minerals in the body. So she's slowly losing minerals over time, just what you're talking, using Tylenol, eating some food with glyphosate, and it's just a normal day-to-day stuff. And then she gets to a period in her life where it's extraordinarily stressful. And that's when her health goes off the rails. She finally gets tested for Lyme disease. You know, she's CDC positive the whole nine yards. And she's... At this point, spent tens and tens of thousands of dollars on treatment. And she's very frustrated because for the most part, she's not getting better yet. And this is, this is the whole, you know, this is the whole thing. And what I've been trying to uncover with conversations with you and people like you is there's so much more to health than simply getting rid of the bacteria. And even the simple idea of detoxing is like, that's insufficient. It's like when we've had so much, you know, you talked about the mineral bank. When our mineral bank is so depleted, it takes something special to, to get an infusion of capital to make it work again. It's not to cut sugar out. That's not going to do it. That's not a bad thing to do, but that's not going to replete your minerals. That's not going to give you back what you've lost over however many years you've been alive, in addition to the major, major stress you've been under. And that's, you know, that's that's the thing. And I had another story, and I forgot, but it was something about people listening and doctors and something like that. But we don't need to beat that dead horse. <laughs>
0: no, but, that, but that's a great example of the, of we, we don't think of it in the way that you just described it. And we, we think about the crisis, but not the, not the two years or the two decades that preceded it, where all the stress was churning in our lives, and and people just people need to realize that if the soil is missing minerals, then our body is missing minerals, because that's where we're supposed to get soils. The soil is supposed to give it to the food, whether it's plant or animal, and if they if the food that we're eating, and and what we don't realize is that there are about nine thousand enzymes that run the human body, and they all work just like the cars we drive. When was the last time we drove a car without a key? And the minerals are the keys to make those enzyme engines work. And what are those enzymes doing? They're moving electrons. Very important function, because that's what runs the bodies. They're called reduction oxidation transactions. They're chemical reactions where... Oxygen, or excuse me, electrons are either being taken away or added. And it's a series of handoffs in the body. It's called redox chemistry, reduction oxidation chemistry, redox chemistry. And what I've learned, McKay, is that there's something called redox cycling pathology. Sure. Well, when you delve into redox cycling pathology, that's the creation of the reactive oxygen species. Yep. yep. Oh well, why are they building? Because we have too much unbound iron and not enough bioavailable copper. We're not activating oxygen properly. We're not clearing the oxidants properly, and it starts to build up and it reaches a crescendo, and then a crisis. And what are we supposed to? What's the body's response? More inflammation. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah, but but it's but ideally it's supposed to be able to make yes. more energy we're supposed to be able to make energy to respond to the stress well how do we make energy well if you don't have copper in complex 4 and you don't have magnesium in complex 5 no can do and when do we lose magnesium in acute oh, stress Like crazy, when do yeah. we lose copper and we lose under chronic stress we yeah. lose copper why because the body makes metallothionine to bind it up because it knows that the body's under chronic stress, which brings us full circle back to the articles that I just sent you this morning. You want to talk about those?
1: Let's see. Okay, Aurora, we're, we're pausing here for a second to see if we can talk. Let's, uh, let's go to them quickly here. Let me see what we've
0: well, I'll do it real fast.
1: Okay, good. So, yes, let's talk about those articles.
0: What we've got is an article that just got links chronic fear, tissue hypoxia,
1: to cancer. Ah, That's awesome.
0: And what chronic fear does, what people don't appreciate about the fear is when we're in a state of fear, pH becomes a... And we contract... Well, any farmer will tell you that acidic soil attracts iron. Oh, okay. So we've got this emotional state is attracting iron. Well, then there's a research team out of Japan in 2016 discovered that that there's a... Um, that in fact, iron activates the danger sensor. It's a protein called NLRP3. It's also called the inflammasome. It's the nuclear origin of inflammation so we've got fear attracting iron and iron activating fear and how is it expressing in the body inflammation so then what what do we have well what's how does how does inflammation express biochemically increased hydrogen peroxide well what's hydrogen peroxide it's a form of hypoxia because we can't complete the two-stroke cycle we can't make energy And, and hypoxia isn't just a lack of oxygen. It's an it's either the oxygen is not available for treatment because it's being made into reactive oxygen species, or there's a lack of bioavailable copper to flip it, and so hydrogen peroxide becomes a very toxic component. And what is elevated in a state of cancer. hydrogen yeah. peroxide. And so, what I think is fascinating about this study is. the the biochemical and physiological link between our emotional state and a disease state and in fact what do you think adding iron filings is doing to our physiology it's creating a state of fear because at a cellular level the cells know that that iron is very reactive and what's it triggering NLRP3 the inflammasome and what's being produced? Inflammation, or as my clients down down south call it, "Hey, doc, I got some of that inflammation." <laughs> and so, it's 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 increasing inflammation. It's increasing hydrogen peroxide. It's denying the body the ability to complete the cycle to activate the oxygen, turn it into water, make the energy, so we can respond to the stress. Yeah, I think it's an amazing. What what they've done is unwittingly they've connected yeah. everything. To-
1: there's a Wonderful researcher, uh, his name's Antonio Damasio, and he's written a couple books. One of them's titled Descartes' Error, and his fundamental message in that book is: we tend to think, oh, it's mind over matter, right? That we can control our emotions just by thinking about it. But he says, look, it's it's a two way street. He says there's no information that doesn't get into the ba- brain through the body. So this whole idea that you can create a, an emotional state based on a physiological response. Inflammation too much others, makes total sense to me, especially as an, as an acupuncturist. And we, we know with brain damage and in neurological Lyme, people will get suicidal ideations and it's f- totally physiological. It has nothing to do with anything going on in their life. They just get to a point where the brain starts thinking, "Gee, I wonder how I could end this torture that I'm under right now." And we we don't think about that very often. We just think, "Oh, I need to be stronger. I need to, you know, to meditate. I need to do." Well, meditation helps by physiologically calming things down, but we tend to to place it in the realm of psychology and Dr. Phil when it's Partially, maybe all in some cases, coming from your physiology. So, you know, the lime rage yeah. is probably another one. It's just instead of on the fear side of things, it's it's doing the, the anger side. Uh, trust issues and relationships. I'm sure that has a big part. You know, the the the, uh, the acupuncture is the Chinese medicine basically says there are five hardwired emotions, and they're fear, anger, joy, sympathy and grief and i would not be surprised to find major pathways like you're describing here with the fear for each one of those emotions
0: no i I think absolutely right and what's interesting is um where is fear stored it's in the it's in the liver well where's where's iron stored in the body liver it's in the liver it's whenever there's an overload of iron because of our environment because of our food system or our supplements, or the doctor thinks we're anemic, wink, wink, doesn't understand that there's a major difference between iron in the blood versus iron in the tissue. And what happens in a state of inflammation? The body goes hypophoremic. The iron level drops in the blood because it's being sequestered to the tissue because the, the body assumes, oh my gosh, there must be a crisis. I've got to get the iron away from the pathogens. Yeah. And so then, so then there's a misunderstanding about the anemia. Iron is being added, and the body is in a state of fear because it knows that it's being flooded with the master prooxidant metal on the
1: planet. I was thinking you the other day. I heard a case study of a woman who uh, was very by the numbers, very anemic, and the doctor gave her an iron IV and almost killed her. I don't. You know. I have. I have two clients
0: who were given iron IVs a week before they delivered oh. because their hemoglobin was too low. The doctors forced iron into their bodies, and both women almost died yeah, and both babies tragic. almost And so the thing, you know, I immediately thought of you and your clients because of the Lyme um, focus that you have, anyone I've ever spoken with, who has Lyme, is in a chronic state of fear. And what we're now realizing is that that fear, it's a legitimate state of fear. I, I totally understand that. But it's affecting their physiology, but in ways that very few people understand outside of this discussion that yeah. you and I are having.
1: Right. It's just, oh, go see the go see the brain doctor, get an antidepressant. Not that. It's another right. symptom indicating that there's major pathway disruption, enzyme disruption. And the thing is, this, this
0: oxygen molecule is something that we can't live without, but if it's not managed properly, it is the source of all of the chaos. And so we're back to waiters and chefs. And we need to understand that our body has infinite capacity to manage when there's enough bioavailable copper. And the the amazing thing about copper is it doesn't just activate oxygen. It doesn't just clean up the exhaust of oxygen, the the reactive oxygen species. It regulates iron. And that's the most amazing part about it, is it has this infinite capacity, working through the ferrooxidase enzyme, to turn ferrous iron into ferric iron so that the iron is not so toxic in the body. And
1: that's an amazing. Morley, let's wrap things up there. We could keep this discussion going probably for a good solid week, but the- <laughs> we'll make people's ears bleed, are you, I think. Are
0: you uncle? Is that what you're doing? You're, you're calling uncle? No, I'm uncle. not calling <laughs>
1: uncle. I'm, I'm having sympathy for our listeners. Because <laughs> you, I you, and I, you and I could do this for a very, very long time.
0: Well, I really – just just so you know, and I want the, the listeners to know, I am profoundly grateful that you and I have connected, that we have these conversations from time to time, because it's just – it's a delight to be able to share this information. And then, invariably, you have these insights and these questions that very few people on the planet seem to be able to generate. And it's just like – you just I really appreciate repartee. Well, so coming you.
1: from you, that's a very, very high compliment, so – I humbly accept. Now, yeah. if folks are interested, you've a you've redone your root protocol and have a new website, yep. and it's all flashy and new. I'm sure you've made updates to it. So how can people begin to learn more about this whole copper thing and the magnesium thing and the iron thing and how it all comes together in health?
0: Yeah, great place for people to go is the new website is they can access RCP, for root cause protocol, rcp123.org. That's the that's the there's short a song. Movie. There's got to
1: be a song in there, some RCP, easy as one, two, <laughs> three.
0: Yeah, really. At some point, there okay. will be, I guess. Anyway,
1: sorry. I've distracted everybody. It's rcp123.org. Okay. .org.
0: And that, they can download the instruction manual. For the root cause protocol, it's right there. We're on version 9.3 now, and it's it's. We're trying to make it as idiot-proof as possible so that I understand it, and if I understand. But but the thing is, uh, there's also a, that there's a lot of material there. There are the iron toxicity posts that I've written. There are like 76 of those. There's, you know, the interviews that I've done with you and a bunch of other practitioners. Uh, people can get access to the. If they want to join the community, the the RCP community, they can get access to the four and a half hour video where I talk with uh, Ben Edwards, who's a a allopathic physician in Lubbock, Texas. And there's a whole bunch of other information that people can gather there. Um, If people want to just dip their toe, they can go to the Magnesium Advocacy Facebook group. There's a group and a, a page, but the group is where a lot of the action is. And then if people want to, Reach out to me. They're certainly willing. I'm very willing to have them do so. My email address is my first and last name, Morley at gmail.com. Or if people want to just pick up the phone, it's area code eight four seven nine two two eight zero six one. People always kind of flinch when you gave out your cell phone number. There are very few people actually call me. It's just people are very respectful. But if someone's having a real particular problem. Uh, they are certainly welcome to, to reach out. So I'm trying to be as accessible as possible and uh, make, make the, uh, the folks out there in listener land much more aware of, of these fascinating juxtapositions between football fields and pennies and just how uh, profoundly amazing uh, and resilient our body is. But we've got to be able to restore the, um, the minerals and the vitamins, and that's what the root cause protocol
1: does. Awesome. Morley, thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. This has been a delight. So I'll look forward to whatever the next uh, seance is with McKay. Thanks so much.
2: This was an amazing interview. You know, Morley is so informative, and he has such amazing insights into this whole copper metabolism and into the iron metabolism and the whole interplay
1: it's an amazing part of the human physiology how we make red blood cells, how we make other proteins that have a heme center that use oxygen, nitric oxide, right? There's a whole list of them. It's so, so very important. And when it goes wrong, things people can get very, very sick. You can get very, very sick. So let's zoom out here. Again, what we're presenting you here is one of the other factors that can get blown up by Lyme disease. So these pathways can be detrimentally affected by Lyme disease. And you can, because of your Lyme and co-infections and what other infections going on, all of a sudden have an issue in this area that you didn't before. So you're struggling, you know, you've been on antibiotics, You've been doing Buhner's Protocol, Cowden's Protocol. You've got custom essential oils being blended. Maybe you're doing liposomal orbs. who knows what you're doing, right? But you're, you're killing off or maybe you've killed off everything or you get the senses like, why am I still sick? Well, these other things happen and sometimes they're not previous conditions. There's something caused by the Lyme disease. Other times these pathways are not working so well before, but then the Lyme just adds extra pressure there. So it's important I'm starting to have a phrase here, think outside the tick. You need to think outside the tick a little bit, right, for your health. It's not just about getting your detox pathways right and killing off the Lyme disease and, you know, working on eliminating sugar so you don't feed them. There's a lot else that can go wrong. And if you've successfully gotten the infections, all of them under control, if you've identified them and gotten them under control and you're still not doing well, this is one area that you really, really need to look into. All right. That's my soapbox for the day. (laughs) You survived it. Congratulations. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, please hit the subscribe button at the bottom of your app. That way you won't miss an episode.
2: And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app.
1: And if you really, really like what you're doing, hit the share button. On your podcast app. Everything's through an app these days, isn't it?
2: It makes things easier, that's for sure. I guess we
1: can just not say app at the each of our little snippets there. Maybe. Anyway, use your app. Hit all the buttons at the bottom of your app. We'll make us really happy. Thanks.
2: <laughs> also, do you have feedback, suggestions for guests, really anything? Send an email to feedback at limeninjaradio.com.
1: And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know... This podcast would not be complete unless we left you with a brand new Lime Ninja fact of the day.
2: Did you know fear of spiders is arachnophobia? Fear of tight spaces is claustrophobia. Fear of ninjas is logic. (laughs)